Who is this? What's your favorite scary movie? Favorite scary movie? Live from Casey Becker's patio. <laughs> It's the first Whoa. week of Austin Danger Podcasts Screamed Over. <laughs> As always, we are Killer Kev and the Maniacal Mackenzie here. Ooh, I like it. We're so spooky. We're being very Halloween. festive. Yeah. This is, this is, I have to say, the most festive I have ever been for Halloween <laughs> in my life. Yeah, I am famously a Halloween hater because I am such a huge scaredy cat, but I am dedicated to being in the in the Halloween spirit this year. Like my level of Halloween movie is generally Halloween Town, but we're going <laughs> further, okay? We're getting real this year. It's true. It's true. Our first week of Screamtober, Wes Craven's original classic Scream from 1996, <laughs> released by the way, this is wild. On December 20th, 1996, just in time for Christmas. That's crazy. What are we doing? You know, <laughs> um, do that? but Mackenzie, before we get into that, before we get into Austin news, before we can get into anything else, I want to tell people about a movie that in six years, people are going to call a masterpiece. Okay. Now, six years ago, I saw a movie called The Nice Guys that I really loved and it was awesome and so witty and funny and great. It's Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. Wonderful. And I told everybody about it and nobody fucking listened to me. And now six years later, everyone we know loves the nice guys. That's true. I watched it recently. It's a good movie. That's right. You're damn right. It's a great movie. I come to you tonight. Now confess Fletch, the new film from Greg Matola with John Hamm. <laughs> Is not as good as The Nice Guys. <laughs> what could be, right? Mm -hmm. Nice Guys is kind of a perfect movie for what it's trying to do. But it is very much in the same vein. And the way that they've totally messed up the release strategy of this movie by, like, dumping it in two theaters for maybe a week and then, like, hoping you'll stick around for it to drop on Showtime next month is uh, insulting, and to say the least. And saying any more would turn me into the Joker, as I said on Letterboxd, so... Um, check it out now so that we don't have to have this conversation again in six years is my recommendation. I have seen zero advertising for this film. I have seen no trailer. I've seen no clips. And the poster looks like a film that would be a fake movie on 30 Rock. You are absolutely like, right. I, I Like, I really didn't know this was a real movie <laughs> until you messaged me about it. The funny thing about it is I had heard about it because I saw stray articles here and there about, like, John Hamm and John Slattery reunited on set in Boston mm, and this mm -hmm. and that. And then there was like this movie marketing email thing that sends me ads all day, every day for months because mm. I, you had to sign up for it to get tickets to the Dune preview that I didn't even do. So what am I doing? <laughs> anyway, the, the, the point is, is that I've been getting requests to see screenings of this movie all summer and I blew it off. And now I regret that because the movie's great. So people should see it. Uh, what else do I want to talk about, Mackenzie, now that we're kind of in this I don't segment? know. What else do you watch this um, week? I got the jump on what 70mm is calling Haunt Vember. And I decided that this year, I know you have a list of movies that you want to get to. We have a bunch of friends who've done the same thing. Yeah. I do this and then never follow it. I <laughs> lack the discipline. I lack the attention span. 
and and just the way that I watch movies, if I'm not interested in it, if I'm interested in it today and I don't watch it, I may never see it. That's kind of how I feel about a lot of things. Um, because there's a lot of things out there and it's always kind of, things are always fighting for your attention. So instead I made a list on letterboxd and I'll just fill out the list as I watch stuff. And there's no pressure in that. There's no like sticking to a choice or there's no choice paralysis either because it's just like compulsively picking stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've only picked crap so far two days into this. (laughs) Uh, I watched, uh, Toby Hooper's the fun house which is a little too slow and not fun enough for me right. personally, but I get the appeal for people who dig it. It's kind of a cult classic. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. relevant to this show, the bizarre Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1994. Do you know anything about this? Um, Hold on. Hold, please. Is that the one that he started his affair with Helena Bottom Carter on? Uh, I, if so, I would <laughs> not be movie? surprised. Yes. There's like 45 minutes yes. of her in it. I wonder why there's all of this romance. Yep. 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 I'm on Wikipedia. I am. I'm confirming. The only thing I knew about the movie was like, I, I knew it was kind of the reason why he, uh, started an affair. Not, not the movie was not the reason why, you know, they were around each other. X, Y, Z. Um, but yeah, that's that's when he cheated on Emma Thompson, which is like the one thing I hold against him forever because I'm like, who the fuck is cheating on Emma Thompson? Wow. He watched yeah. Love Actually and was like, I got to do that in real life. You want to um, know something totally wild about all of this as you're saying it? <laughs> what? Is that Helena Bonham Carter, six years later, does a movie with Tim Burton called The Planet of the Apes, which is another historic, tragic misfire where is that the where director- she got with him? The director of the film hooks up with Helena Bonham Carter and he's cheating. Really? On, yeah, that's right. That's right. He was married? Tim Burton, I, I don't believe he was married, but was dating. With somebody. I'm trying okay. to pull up the name. She's in Mars Attacks. Lisa Marie is her name. She plays Vampira in Ed Wood. And she's <gasps> also in Mars Attacks as the lady Martian disguise that Martin Short falls Ooh, for. Oh, I love her with the gum. The yeah, gum. with the big what wig. A queen. Mm-hmm. okay helena i love you queen but what is yeah. this track record mama um, so as i said tim burton's planet of the apes and mary shelley's frankenstein share a lot in common because they are both <laughs> awful misfires uh mary shelley's frankenstein the kind of killer of it is kenneth brana who wanted to make a movie like a pastoral romance starring victor frankenstein and uh don't look anything else up i want you to look right at me when i tell you this the monster in this movie is played by robert de niro what Robert De Niro plays the monster and they do no like they have these giant stitches go up his face but it's still Robert De Niro's face he didn't have to get in there he didn't have to get in there oh it's so like I will say the bright side of it is that every time Robert De Niro shows up on screen it's a belly laugh it's a pause of the movie belly laugh oh Um, my good god but that sucked too you know I'm really into the big expensive swings and misses people know me you know, Southland Tales and Batman Forever, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. which I think is a good movie, but among my favorite movies. And uh, this just didn't do it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about, I can't say a lot about because it is on the schedule. We will be discussing this movie at the end of the year. Oh, I know. But on Saturday <laughs> afternoon, I went to the Lincoln Square IMAX, one of the biggest screens in the world. And I was lost for three hours in the world of Pandora. And James Cameron's Avatar. 
And let me tell you, Austin Nation, by the end of this year, you will believe in Avatar. And that's all I can say without giving any more away. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen, look, I thought I knew. I believe in Avatar? Look, that's we the can, real question. No, but we can have that conversation. <laughs> we can have that conversation later. You will not, but we can have. We can talk about it later. No hope. No hope there. Oh, no, no. But, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let me tell you, it's like living there. You know, I worked at the movies the year after Avatar, the couple of years after Avatar, and every other movie was 3D and it all looked like trash because they didn't try hard enough. Hmm. And uh, man, it was yeah, wild. Yeah, depending on how long this re-release goes, because I can't go this next weekend, but I can't get the following. So hopefully, if it's still in theaters, I will try to catch it. In I hope they do it. Leaves. I mean, yeah. I'm trying to think of what would open an IMAX. Uh, there's not a lot this time of year anyway, so no. hopefully they keep it around somewhere because it made a lot of money. It did, yeah, and I feel like if they could take it into Thanksgiving, they probably will um, just because that's like a big movie-going time. Let's remind people. I mean, I think Disney will pull it before Wakanda Forever, which is their big Thanksgiving, yes. which <laughs> talk about religious experiences, the trailer in the giant IMAX. Oh, my God. That trailer's amazing. My soul left my body. Angela Bassett? Are you fucking kidding me? Is Kevin Feige capable of producing an all-time classic at this phase in his career? It <laughs> remains to be seen, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I've been watching is is just massive swings in one direction or another. It's been a roller coaster of a weekend. Whoa. But, but Mackenzie, please, besides Guy's Grocery Games. <laughs> Which I did watch a lot of, yes. Of course, of course. What have you um, been watching? Again, another light week because we were out of town for mm-hmm. uh, my brother-in-law had a college weekend. So I was out of town. So that took away. Plus, guys, grocery games <laughs> uh, also took away. But uh, I will say, I'm not going to linger on it long. My fiance is officially obsessed with Andor, the new Disney Plus program. Oh, yeah. And therefore obsessed with rewatching Rogue One. That is her favorite Star Wars. I do think it might be the best. I, I know that's like a hot take in some circles and not a hot take in other circles. Um, personally, I like Rogue One because I like that it's just its own thing and it's tragic and it's epic and it's beautiful and it's amazingly shot. Um, so we watched that twice this week because Rachel is obsessed with it. <laughs> so I've watched a lot of Rogue One and I'm sure we'll talk about it eventually because it's Star Wars. Yeah, I think we'll do A in Star Wars. technically Carrie is in it. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. I, oh, I forgot about that. Well, I remember I saw Rogue One in theaters the week it came out, and that was literally like a week after Carrie died. And I remember yes. just bawling my eyes out seeing that moment at the end um, with the young, the young Leia. Uh, so that was like reliving that. I just cry every time I see Carrie, and uh, I'm brought back to that moment in the theater when like all of us just kind of wept together because um, that was. Not the last time we would see her in Star Wars, because I think that she had already had filmed a lot of scenes that they ended up yeah. kind of cobbling into the final pieces of the Skywalker saga. She had done Last Jedi stuff. Her work on that yeah. was done. And then I think she had shot some preliminary stuff or they had had deleted scenes or something they, uh, for yeah, put back the in. nightmare, as I'm calling it now on the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just remember that. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see Carrie again. Uh, but it'll be great. And then the other thing I watched this week that I know you loved was Raising Arizona. Yes. Oh, my God. What a great movie. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of on a low-key journey of the Coens. I haven't quite finished. And I, I just, uh, I think it just got added to something. 
Like, I think I literally got added to Stars, which we randomly have for some reason on Rachel's Amazon account. <laughs> Their selection is actually pretty decent, it turns yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's a kind of random. I, I think we literally did a trial for a single movie, and then Rachel just hasn't canceled, so that's why we have Stars. And I got my little letterboxed email that was like, hey, Mackenzie, Raising Arizona's on Stars. And I was like, you know what? I'll pop that on. Uh, and yeah, I kind of was charmed by, I called it like, coen brothers by way of wes anderson almost like the kind of way it was shot and the sort of type of narration from nicholas cage at the beginning gave me huge kind of wes anderson vibes or should i say wes anderson maybe gave me coen brothers vibes because obviously this predates all of anderson's right. work yeah um, i see it but i it, it was like but his like early like early anderson stuff it just yeah. it had that kind of just that that amount of quirk uh and and style of narration that was that reminded me of that style so i really liked it i gave it four and a half stars i think it gets a little bumpy in the third act i think the pacing gets a little weird wonky as they try to sort of give john goodman more screen time and you know i love john but like i was like we need to get back to the main characters uh so i think it dragged a bit in the third act so that's why i docked it a bit but hey i love the coen brothers i like a lot of their movies Rachel said to me last weekend, we got to watch The Big Lebowski again. And uh, I agree. So might be watching Lebowski soon. It may come as no surprise to you that, in my opinion, The Big Lebowski is one of the greatest films of all time. I know that's your favorite movie. That's why I was I literally like Rachel was like, man, I want to watch The Big Lebowski because she walked in on me watching Raising Arizona. And I was like, Kev will freak out. It's his favorite movie ever. You got to watch it, man. The dude abides, man. The dude uh, minds, man. <laughs> it's great. But yeah, that's really all I watched. A bunch of bunch of Rogue One, a bunch of Cohen, a bunch of Guy Fieri. Hell yeah. You know what we should do, by the way? Not to not to produce on air. We should do Tell an me. ADP ADP when Andor is done. It's not gonna be until like Thanksgiving time. Yeah. I mean I've watched it three, four times. <laughs> so the we first should, three episodes, I should say. We should do because uh, 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 we haven't done one in a while. And we're pioneers. Yeah. We're pioneers. I, I hear it. I hear after credit spoiler and blooper segments all the time now on all of our favorite podcasts. Funny how that's happened. We are innovators. Hmm. We are hmm. innovators is all I'll say. Hmm. Hmm. But that's that's a, that's for November, Kevin McKenzie, to worry about. That's for the regular ones in the middle of Freak Vember. <laughs> and now onto the thing that we lifted from another podcast. Whoop did news. What does it all mean, Basil? Well, you know, <laughs> you know what's funny about that about about what you just said there is that mm-hmm. uh, I listened to Dune Pods do a network with the mighty David Itzkoff from the New York Times. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was so awesome, and That's they amazing, also actually. they had just as much Dune news as we have Austin news. Hey, pulling it all together. A follow up and nothing else, folks. The super yaki Austin stuff is out. It's out. It's for sale. You can go buy it as part go of their it. mic drop. I picked up Daddy Wasn't There stickers that are of a really amazing design. And <laughs> as somebody who has uh, been listening to that song every week or so since the summer of 2002, <laughs> it's a big moment. That's like pretty much the Austin news. You know, there's like three other clickbait articles about Mike Myers quotes around Austin Four. again, as we said, we know. <laughs> Um, he'll just keep saying maybe until it never happens you know what I just learned is that tar is opening in New York next weekend 
And uh, I'll see that three times before I'll see Amsterdam. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. I want to go see Tar so bad. Yeah, that's going to be really good. They may be, you know, I think I think that'll be a week two city. So keep... Someone called it Kate Blanchett's Raging Bull. Yeah, I have to. I'm already floating outside of my <laughs> own body. I'm already, like, I'm just hovering above my own physical form. I am no longer, I am no longer a human being. Uh, yeah, that's awesome news. So, you know, I think it's time. It's time. Is it time? Is it time? <laughs> Maybe. Folks, as promised, it is finally time to discuss Wes Craven's Sydney Prescott is a young teen trying to live a normal life one year after the tragic murder of her mother, Maureen. She has a group of friends including her best friend Tatum, nerdy friend Randy, her pushy boyfriend Billy, and his erratic best friend Stu. The five friends in the entire town of Woodsboro are suddenly rocked when the murder of a young student named Casey Becker horrifies the town so close to the anniversary of the murder of Maureen Prescott. A deep-voiced killer calls teens, asks them for their favorite scary movie, and then pursues them before stabbing and gutting them. Sydney seems to be the main target of the killer, and with the help of Tatum's brother, Deputy Dewey Riley, she's able to evade the killer and escape with her life numerous times. Meanwhile, Gail Weathers, a nosy local news reporter, is trying to sniff out the clues that will prove to her that this new killer is the same person who killed Sydney's mother, and therefore release the man who she believes Sydney wrongfully fingered as her mother's killer, a man named Cotton Weary. It all ends one <laughs> so stupid name. It all ends one night at Stu's house when a house party is the perfect setting for our killer, or should I say killers, to pounce. Through a phenomenally tense and well-structured third act, we realize that Billy and Stu are the killers. Billy is seeking revenge for the fact that Sydney's mother had an affair with his father and caused his mother to leave them. And Stu doesn't have a motive because it's the 90s. Motives are incidental. Sydney is able to outsmart the killers and take them down, Billy being shot down in the head finally with one last scream. What's your favorite scary movie? Ugh, man. I can't do the voice. (laughs) What's your favorite? I can do like the the problem is like Ghostface is pretty close to Chucky on the on the voice Mm. spectrum. Like it's past Freddy Krueger. It's in between Robert England's Freddy voice and and Brad Dourif's Chucky voice. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have any history with Scream? I not not as much as you might expect. I think mm. I have more of a, you know, I have more of a history with the scary movie franchise, which is on the wheel and we will discuss in time. And there's much to be said about scary movie, <laughs> uh, scary movie yes. three specifically, which is not even about Scream and is more about, oh, uh, the ring, it's the ring, right? It's yeah. signs where the woman has the giant, the hat that gets bigger every shot. And but no, I don't really have. I saw it once as a kid. 
and that's it. I, I like the franchise. I saw Scream 4 opening night and loved it, but have never revisited it since that period. Oh, wow. And then, you know, I saw Scream 5 on a cam bootleg with slot machine ads when it came out because <laughs> it was the height of Omicron. Yeah, I, that's why I haven't seen it yet is because yeah. Omicron hit. I'm like, I'm a huge Scream fan, which we'll get into, but like Omicron hit. So I didn't get to see Scream 5 in theaters. And then by the time I was maybe going to rent it, we had decided to do this. So Scream 5 is going to be a first watch for me. Yeah. Which that was exciting. an early decision by us. that ended oh, up working sure. out really well. <laughs> We're good at those, as you'll learn. <laughs> Next year on Austin Danger Podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Mackenzie, if you could just go into it. I mean, I don't, like, have a distinct history. Like, I I, I guess I should say, as, as I mentioned earlier, like, I've always been a huge scaredy cat. I was, mm-hmm. I've always had a huge fear of, like, masks and Halloween. And Halloween, since I was a kid, has always been a time of turmoil and hatred for me. Like, I, being little, I would have to walk around the Halloween aisles because even just being near things would scare me and I'm still a pretty skittish person so it took me a long time to come to movies that were scary in any way and so I think that I first watched Scream in college but I don't 100% remember but I remember the first scary movie I actually watched was Halloween 2 weirdly whoa the the original Halloween 2 the original Halloween 2 with Jamie Lee in the hospital yeah, because the the video rental place didn't have Halloween 1 in stock because it was Halloween. <laughs> and uh, my friend and I said, well, we'll just get the second one. And, that is, we, and so... That um, is fa- I shot him six times! <laughs> and it's crazy because I remember I was so scared of movies. And then I watched that and was like, oh, this is amazing. I actually really kind of love this. Mm-hmm. And I really love slashers. I think I have built a, a love of slashers and Scream is a huge part of that. So I think I watched it in college and I watched the first two and loved them. And then three and four, I think I've watched actually in recent years, about two, three years ago, I watched those for the first time. Um, and then obviously I've never seen five. So Scream is a series I love because I love the characters, which we'll get into. I love Sydney. She's a great final girl. I think she gets better with each movie. Mm. Um, so Scream is always a movie I've considered to me an all-timer. A total, like, one of the best scary movies ever. I think it reinvented the genre in a sense, which, you know, we can get into. Um, but I, I don't know a distinct history other than I've just, I've loved it for a long time. And I watch them every year. I never yeah. miss a year. I always watch uh, at least the first two, but now I watch all of them every year. Of course. Yeah, you know, I was the same way. I was very much a scaredy cat, even well into adulthood. Like, before we get into the actual discussion, I do want to call out some friends who do horror podcasts who are great. So our buddies Chuck and Dale of the Bat and Spider podcast and uh, Yoli and Kevin Cablasto of Spaghetti and Freddy, who both cover... Bat and Spider covers a more general swath of horror movie, most mostly junk, but enjoyable, fun junk. And Yoli and Cablasto on Spaghetti and Freddy cover Spaghetti Westerns and the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which is a pretty damn clever format. Um, yeah. And those those four and the, the communities that have sprung up from those podcasts have really shown me uh, the joy of horror movies. And and slashers, I agree with you. So I'm, I'm totally in love with slashers. My favorite is Halloween, for the record. The best, one of the best Even ever. the yeah. shitty ones. Could you believe, by the way, that there are four Halloween twos, technically? That's crazy actually wow. i remember because i loved 
the original Halloween 2, my friend and I tried to go see Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Oh, very different movie, apparently. ran out of the theater because I was so scared. Like, the second, spoiler alert, the opening is Michael escaping the van, and he, like, stabs somebody in the (laughs) eye, and they show it really gory. And I just bawled my eyes out and ran out of the theater, and I was, like, 14. (laughs) It was so bad. Uh, so I've never seen those, but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I like slashers. They're so great. They're just, I find, I like the campiness that is usually yes, infused absolutely. with slashers. And I especially love slashers of this era and earlier because part of the genius of these other older movies, especially like the original Halloween, which I also am obsessed with is it doesn't feel the need to show you like every ounce of gore. I'm not a big gore person. And it's funny cause they obviously this film loves Halloween and I love when they're watching Halloween in the later half of the film. And my favorite shot in Halloween is in that. And it's when Michael is just wa- looking at a body he just killed and just kind of tilts his head like a child. Yep. That's scarier to me than any amount of gore and blood you can show me. And uh, But this isn't, a, this isn't about Halloween. This is about Scream. <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll do that. But um, <laughs> did you notice, by the way, when Michael Myers' name comes up in this movie, you you hear the little twinkle. Please. Like, of course, a copyright indistinguishable, but you can kind of hear a piano that reminds you enough of the Halloween theme. Oh, I didn't hear that because I was thinking of when Dewey's coming into the house and it's empty and how the the film Halloween is like scoring the scene. So when Dewey opens the door, that trill that's in the film, that that synthy trill happens. Right. Uh, And then Jamie Lee's like cries are kind of scoring the scene and scream like genius. That's later. (laughs) That's, you know, we'll do, you know. I feel like the best way to start is talking about probably, I would say, one of the most iconic opening sequences of a film ever. So, you got a boyfriend? (laughs) Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Mm, No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? What? Hello? Look, I gotta go. Wait, I thought we were gonna go out. Uh, nah, I don't think so. Don't hang up on me. Yes? I told you not to hang up on me. What do you want? To talk. Well, dial someone else, okay? Listen, asshole! No, you listen, you little bitch! If you hang up on me again, I'll gut you like a fish, understand? <sighs> yeah. Is this some kind of joke? more of a game really once again austin danger podcast is a hive mind i was like with the next <laughs> breath about to segue there. into this uh, number one one of the funniest wigs of all time on drew barrymore <laughs> as she answers the phone but otherwise like just totally first of all totally of the time totally now she's getting ready to watch a video Mm. hello like who does that like it's obviously a blockbuster she's got kettle corn on the stove which 
I've never done. Uh, too scary for me. I mean, look at what happens to Drew. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It, it, the thing is, she's leaving it unattended for two seconds and it catches on fire immediately. What? <laughs> that's that's horrifying wow. to me. It tells you you're <laughs> in a scary movie. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, it's just such a good opening sequence. It's so well paced. And I think it's funny because obviously like now we all know that it's iconic that they cast this big name to kill her off immediately but at the time it was this huge marketing ploy of like oh drew barrymore is in this new movie and it was this sort of shocking like nobody is safe kind of thing by killing her off instantly wait is that true she was advertised that wasn't like a oh, big surprise she, yeah like if you look up some of the original release posters she is like bigger than sydney Prescott. that's amazing like, what like drew barrymore was like hugely pushed during the marketing she's technically though i think it's a different model she's technically supposed to be the girl on the the screaming poster the big iconic one um and some it's sometimes she's edited more to look like drew barrymore but like in some of the more montage posters where it's just promo shots of people standing she's huge and he- heavily featured on the posters because i think they and please you know email i'll send pod at gmail if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure that like drew barrymore she was intentionally a red herring in the marketing that like they were casting this huge name to like carry the movie. Cause at the time, you know, I mean, Courtney Cox probably had friends at this point, right? Maybe, maybe for a few years. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, guess this was 96. You know, yeah. So she might've just been about to get into friends like that. Like Drew Barrymore might've been the biggest pull at that point. And I think it's very interesting them kind of making her this opening kill and then saying, now what are you going to do? You're going to stay for this yeah. movie. Friends had been on for a couple of years, but mm. I don't know if it was iconic right away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I I just, I love it. I love it so much. I Can I tell you, every time I watch this scene, it makes me more sad too. It is a real, it is particularly like, the the roller coaster that, he, that Wes Craven brings you on through the whole movie, right? Mm. Like the laughing of recognition the the sheer terror of like there's stuff that that the the insert of the swing and you hear the rope every inch of movement on the rope swing like genuinely scary then there then there is gore you get to see right yeah the guts being pulled out of people (laughs) yeah exactly like the football guy getting gored out by we'll talk about who did it later um you know and then you feel you do feel that awfulness that ugh, like ah, like you're so you're right there. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know how I initially saw this scene, but like yeah, every time I watch it, it like rips my heart out. And I think it's such a testament to Wes Craven understanding that a horror movie is more than the effects and what it, we're visually seeing. It's about making us feel something too. And, like, every time I watch it, it makes me more and more sad at how close she is, how she's yelling out mom. Her Every word she's saying before she dies is just mom. She just She's a kid. She's a teenager. Right. And all she wants is her mom, and her mom is right fucking there. And the horror of Wes putting you in that moment of them hearing their daughter being murdered on the phone. Like, what right. a genius, small little thing that, like, a fucking course she hasn't hung up yet. And it's like, it's, I have that same moment with the delay um, in the van, which is another amazing small yes. technique he uses to create a great horrifying moment. Like these little, these little things, it's these little details that make it so, just so great, just right from the start. Right. And they put, they put the movie in the present day in all the best ways that haven't really gotten old 
to me, but I was mm. there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. We were yeah. there. Right. I wonder what kids think of this one. The Zoomers. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's interesting because like so much of the crux of this film is uh, no color ID, right? Uh, yeah. And it's very funny because not to spoil, I feel like Scream 2 is my uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Real ADP fans know in Whoa. terms of me of me having to hold back referencing Scream 2 too many times. Um, but like there, that was the thing is when this movie came out, the rise of caller ID was huge because pe- this movie was such a cultural moment that like caller ID <laughs> skyrocketed. And they sort of acknowledged that in the second film. The film opens with, people getting caller id like it's sort of huh. it's interesting how the film because it is so of the time because it is so set specifically where it is it's, it sort of comments on society as it's being lived through i suppose uh, which i think is interesting so do we want to get into now we have the iconic opening is done we are now setting up the world of scream gail weathers appears in the hilarious uh, highlighter mint whatever the hell it is uh, blazer that Parker Posey wears later in the franchise for reasons that yes. will become evident yeah, yeah, as yeah. you showed me the other day. Do we want to get into Kev, the, the, the mystery sleuth now? I would, I would actually love this. Yes. All right. So for those of you who don't know, who maybe don't follow me on Letterboxd or haven't heard, I forgot who does the murder in every one of these, except for scream five for reasons that will be evident when we get there at the end of the month. I promise. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be fun? Maybe I can guess it, right? So <laughs> so that first master shot of the kids, the ensemble, all hanging out at the fountain, I'm like, yes. Rose McGowan and Matthew Lillard are in on it. Boom. Oh. Done. Toasted. Done. The boyfriend, Skeet, Skeet Ulrich, way too obvious, way too clearly menacing, <laughs> way too over the top. Right, the pressuring in scene in the first scene, trying to have sex and yeah, and the cuckoo eyes. Ulrich does every line with these like. Sorry, you guys can't see me doing it, but it's like (laughs) these wild animal eyes. I did, I do, I do also want to say that although I was wildly wrong, one of the things I love that that sealed the deal for me was that Ghostface is physically kind of awkward. Now he's scary. But when he's running around, <laughs> oh, brother. I, yeah, I do love, in basically every Scream movie, Ghostface is, like, getting his ass kicked, like, at least 80% of the chase. Right. Like, so many chases, Ghostface is getting kicked in the nuts, falling downstairs, fucking doing full vaudeville act, trying to catch well, somebody. It's so funny, actually. <laughs> I mean, contrast that to 25 years of... You know, by the end of Friday the 13th, exactly. Like like Michael Myers is an unstoppable killing machine that later was revealed to be uh, enchanted by an evil cult or whatever. That got undone, but you know what I mean? Or like Jason, who by the end of the Friday the 13th movies is a reborn demon from hell who is indestructible. And they both walk pretty much with the same gait because Friday was a ripoff of Halloween. So I love, especially because the reveal, spoilers for Scream, (laughs) <laughs> yeah if you're listening to this i presume you've watched scream but you know who is knows. that it is in fact two teenage boys it's matthew lillard as i predicted correctly what's going on hello and skeet ulrich the boyfriend and mm. it if you go back and watch it again it does look like them under the sheet you know what yeah, i mean yeah yeah no i i think it's 
when you know the kid, like I love, you know, obviously like I wish I could go back and experience screams for the first time mm-hmm. to just like not know anything. But also it is fun knowing who the killer is because I love that first fountain scene. As you said, Rachel was watching this with me and she was like, it's so genius because Skeet does feel obvious right which is why it's kind of the perfect right. anti-subversion that it and is there's him. a few other solid right like the dad is a great red herring the well. principal even in that one scene when that's he's right talking about like they, they have a lot of red herrings and uh and billy himself kind of becomes a red herring but a, a red red herring like an, i don't know what we what the opposite of that would be where he they red herring him but then bring him back as the killer but yes in that first fountain scene you there's that part when Stu is like being really explicit about the murders and it's upsetting Sydney. And, and it's such great acting because Billy is giving him these eyes like, Hey man, shut up, dude. And it can read as someone who doesn't know he's the killer as, Oh, he's being a good boyfriend and he sees that Sydney's uncomfortable and he's trying to get his friend to shut up. But when you know he's the killer, you can see he's going, dude, shut the fuck up. You're going to give us up, you idiot. Like you can see the, the like how that could be the same thing. Right. Uh, and it's just so it, it's just really fun, subtle acting that like when you know they're the killers to be able to look for these clues um, earlier in the film, I think is really, really fun. That's amazing. I have to go back and watch it again because now I'm curious. It's good. There's another part where like. It's right after Ghostface kills Tatum and Billy comes to the front door and Sydney's there and he gives a look to, to Stu and it's such an obvious like, I did it, I just, I'm done. But like, it could also be misconstrued as, oh shit, I'm running into my, my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend. Like, it's, it's just like these moments that when you know they have different meaning, but if you don't, it still doesn't, dist- it doesn't look weird, if that makes sense. Like, it's so subtle. It's really, really good. I have here in my notes, the doggy door is amazing. What a way to go out. Guess I was wrong about Tatum, but I'm still convinced Lillard has something to do with this. Yeah, you were right. Tatum, I loved her on this watch. She's a really good friend. I think people don't talk enough about how Tatum is actually a really good friend. Yeah, you know, I was so hard pressed. I was so convinced that it was her in the the end that I didn't even think of that. I'm not going to lie. She was always, she's so um, kind to Sydney about the stuff with her mom. She's like taking Sydney into her home. Uh, This was an interesting watch for me because there were so many tiny lines that I will be calling out that I didn't catch before. And one of the lines I feel like I've never heard was Sydney and Tatum in the like some sort of supermarket and Tatum is just like, you're, you're too good for Billy and his penis. Right. Like, Billy and his penis don't deserve you. Like she's Something such a like kind of girl yeah. power, best friend. And I'm like, Tatum's great. And I hate that she dies. It sucks. Yeah. But it's a but... great kill. It's a great kill. And Rose McGowan, though she is a complicated public figure now, yes. uh, is so good in this movie. She's so perfect with the, Oh, Mr. Ghostface, I want to be in the sequel, which isn't an iconic line. Is that you, Randy? And what movie is this from? I spit on your garage. Lose the outfit. If Sydney sees it, she'll flip. Oh, you want to play psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Cut, Casper. That's a wrap. 
What else do I have here in my notes? Um, did you notice in the... <laughs> there are three, or two, I think, definitely two, perhaps three, clerks product placement. <laughs> I did not notice that. What? Of course, everyone knows in 1994, Harvey Weinstein goes to, uh, I believe it was uh, Sundance, and buys Kevin Smith's clerks and makes hmm. it an indie darling and a big hit and all this. Clerks is in a standee in the video store and in the third act it's on the it's in the TV hutch on VHS. I did not notice that. Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. I was like Harvey, you dog. <laughs> you you animal. Oh my god. That was funny. I have again just some just some Kev sleuth to uh to wrap that up. If Matthew Lillard comes back, he's the killer. Um, which I don't even remember what scene that was. Oh, I guess it was the uh, the Tatum death. Oh, yeah. We'll see. Oh, my God. It's so funny. People do these huge breakouts on IMDb trivia where they try to figure out which person was doing what. Mm. And I do think for Tatum it had to have been Billy because um, Stu was in there watching Halloween with people during Tatum's death. That's right. Um, which is interesting because Tatum is fully his girl, Stu's girlfriend. And it's like... I also will get into it later. There's a lot of queer coding with yes. Sue and Billy that I think that has um, been confirmed by the writers now in 2022. Um, though, I, though I think that it's probably because queer fans have adopted them so much that they probably at this point can't say no. Yeah, um, there's a lot when when yeah. how should I put this? When that happens, it is hard to say no to to that theory. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which we can get to it near the end. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also have a conspiracy theory that Sydney's gay, though. I think they haven't made her gay because I think that she has, like, spoiler alert, I think she has, like, kids in the new one, right? Or something? I like don't remember. I think so. But it's... look, straight girls in 1996 didn't often have Indigo Girls posters on their wall. Thank I'm just going to say. That was my first note. Un- underneath, like, the Randy Roundtable <laughs> obligatory, just Nev. Immediately, Nev. I mean, she's it amazing. says Randy Indigo Roundtable, Girls yes. poster. Um, Look, she loves the Indigo Girls. She has no interest in sex <laughs> with her boyfriend. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think Sydney's a little gay, but that not as gay as Stu. And uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> Quick, so so maybe we'll hit up the fashion and the drip and the hair, especially <laughs> the drip. some of the most atrocious hair I've ever seen in a movie, starting with Drew's incredible wig. I think Nev looks great. Nev I think looks great. Everyone else who tries bangs in this movie just misses completely. I think it's just a huge miss. I think there ought to be a law. Okay. I mean, it's not as bad as later in the franchise, as you told me in our DMs. Oh, my God. Yeah. The bangs in Scream 3 are gonna <laughs> just going to send you into a coma. They're so bad. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's super contemporary on purpose, though. It's not like, you know, they didn't try to go evergreen with it, which is great. <laughs> No, it's great. Um, and speaking of, you know, the other people who tried bangs and failed, G- Gail Weathers, an interesting character. I think that, like, another thing I love about this movie that I noticed this time around was they layer on the Maureen stuff really subtly, but really well. Yes. The, like, using news clips to sort of tell this story of Maureen Prescott, Sydney's mom, who gets killed, which in hindsight, knowing that Billy did it, it means... He- he raped and murdered her mom. I don't know if they mentioned in this film, but in later films they mentioned that. Maureen yes, was, that like, is sexually correct. Assaulted, yes, yes, yes. Which is like makes the him having sex with Sydney even grosser. Um, Billy is the worst, <laughs> uh, but I think that like 
it's interesting to me that like they set up all these things they don't even really pay off in this film like the cotton weary stuff like that is really gail's objective gail's objective is truly this like the innocence of this man who we really never meet we see a single clip of him and that's it and i think it's so interesting the confidence wes craven has in setting up these things that do again not to terminator to it but like get paid off in the second right. film interesting um it's 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 i just think it's and then the, yeah like i don't know i just think that gail and neve and courtney both act the history between the two of those women really well like in that one great scene where they're where she's like i just want to talk to you off the record and they they really get into their past it's just I, I really applaud Wes Craven for, again, not just focusing on the horror aspect, but the human aspect, which is what makes the film series, I think, so good is because it focuses so much on the characters' relationships with each other as opposed right. to just these murders that are happening. And uh, yeah, I, I think Gail is a fun character. Her relationship with Dewey is really fun. Who oh, we I also haven't it. really talked Dewey, to. Dewey, who has the best hair in the whole movie, by the way. <laughs> My looks- ideal. He looks good with a mustache. I think that genuinely. I think True. he actually rocks the mustache. Yeah. I love them all. I, I genuinely love all the characters. Yeah. I love the way that, you know, Wes Craven had sequel ideas ready. Oh, yeah. So that's oh, probably yeah. where all that stuff went, as we'll discover in future weeks on the show. Yeah, I think the reason why I love the Scream series is I just love these characters so damn much. They're, They're all strong. so strong. And you just really give a shit about these characters. I Yeah. Um Again, and I think that's why Scream 2 works for me so much is because now that these characters are established, they just get to deepen in that film. And it's just, it's just, I think this, this, the characters are really what makes Scream, I think, stand out um, as just a really phenomenal franchise. I think that's, that's its strongest point is its amazing characterization it brings. For sure. Um, Jamie Kennedy, probably the greatest red herring of all time. Hmm. Uh, he'll make you think it's him any day on anything. Let me tell you. He's actually good in this. I I like him in this. It's Far Cry from Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> and Ma- Son of the Mask, if you will. But, oh, I for three, three or four blissful weeks, I forgot that he was Son of the Mask. And now, <laughs> and now I just remembered. Back. Thanks for that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy praise for jamie kennedy i loved that scene where he's watching friday the 13th by the way it's great he's the movie nerd he stands in for all the west craven fans that's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase scene at the end only virgins can do that don't you know the rules what rules you don't jesus christ you don't know the rules have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no no! Big no! Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Oh! You see, you push the laws and you end up dead. Uh, let's, okay. let's talk about, let's pay tribute to Henry Winkler real quick. I want to talk yeah, about yeah. Henry Winkler, who is a god and the best and is so funny in this, but also so real. Yeah, that's right? great. How, he's uncredited like, too. What? 
Yeah, I think he probably did this for free, I guess, because he's uncredited. What a hardworking, strong performance from him, though. Like, oh, my God. I love it. I love it. That's all I have to say about it. But, mm, man, it was appreciated. he's, He's so good. And I love how there's so many, again, like little details that are so pitch perfect because you think that the principal is a random kill. You're like, why the fuck are they killing the principal? But then later when they talk about how all the police are pulled away because they found the principal's body, right? like it was actually part of the plan to pull the police force to the high school and away from the house party. Like insane how he was able to do that. that You're was... like, why did this principal die? And it's, there's a reason. It's all part of the dominoes that are falling right now. Do you know the behind the scenes of that, which I just no, randomly I learned on wiki? Um, There hadn't been a death in like 10 pages and Mm. (laughs) the studio was like, we have to spice it up here. And unintentionally, he plugged that plot hole for the third act where all the students run, you know, all the kids get out of the party so you can do the reveal and the the solving of the mystery. That is actually really amazing. And keep the cops away. How crazy. Yeah. How how well done is that? Right. Like. So well done. Holy shit. All right. Yeah. So that's my big final point is I love Henry. He's the best. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean i'm looking at my random my random little notes sydney punching gale iconic moment true incredible did you clock linda blair no linda blair best known for her role as reagan in the exorcist film uh she has like one line as a nosy reporter or something i just saw her for two seconds and it was like the spirit of a horror movie fan took over me and i went is that fucking linda blair right there uh, and I went on Letterboxd, and lo and behold, it was. That's amazing. And Wes Craven as the janitor, Freddy. Get it? Ha ha. Oh, that was him? I didn't that, realize that was it was actually Wes. That was him. You know, his last film, of course, was uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is the progenitor of Scream in a lot of ways. It's way more broad. It's way more broad because it's more of a direct... It's not a comedy, but it is a parody of Nightmare on Elm Street in many ways. Which, if you love this, highly, highly, highly recommend you check out New Nightmare, which uh, is a little bit more meta. But, like, I was surprised at the lack of meta in the first half. It's a pretty Mm. conventional slasher until, basically, the video store and the rules. Yeah. I I love that Wes is making fun of himself so deftly at so many points here. There's a great line Tatum has of... This isn't like a Wes Carpenter movie or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's, I just think that like it's so his willingness to make fun of himself while also reinventing the genre he was a huge part of revolutionizing in the first place is is just the the what a what a master <laughs> what a master that we had on this earth. He's the uh, best. Wes he was he the was so best. Good. Like I mean, he invented so much of this stuff, right? Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then he's flipping it right on his head again and making it brand new. It's amazing. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. So there is a movie in between New Nightmare and Scream. It's Eddie Murphy's Vampire in Brooklyn. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Wes Craven, just amazing work on display here. I have some lines that leapt out to me that I just want to hit before I say my last thought. Go for Um, it. I, I never noticed, I wrote this in the, my review, the girl in the bathroom that Sydney is listening to. Kev can attest, I was so high, I sent him a voice memo of myself. This girl goes, her own bubble butt boyfriend, Belle. Oh, yeah, I clocked that. Trevor Riley. <laughs> <laughs> 
this woman's voice she's committing to this weird valley girl voice and saying these lines so funny and i could not stop thinking about her own bubble butt boyfriend belly sydney killed casey and steve why would she do that maybe she had the hots for steve and killed them both in the chest range what would sydney want with steve she has her own bubble butt boyfriend billy maybe she's a slut just like her mother you're evil please it's a common fact her mother was a tramp some slack. She watched her mom get butchered. And it fucked her up royally. Think about it. Richard Gere gerbil line. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't Insane. realize people joked about that so much. Although, obviously, I mean, they joked about it enough that I heard about it from Snopes.com as a child on AOL. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I had never caught that on every watch of Scream. I have never heard that line. And I was like, is that a Richard Gere gerbil joke? Uh, so that's great. Um, I, my, I think my favorite note I wrote for this entire episode was Sydney has the clearest post nut clarity of all time. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as she fucks Billy, she goes, "Hold on a second, are you the killer?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Girl, so after you fucking oh my god, the clearest post nut clarity." How great was that? Also, to have the intercut of Jamie Kennedy complaining about the sex scene, where it's like, "Oh, this is the gratuitous scene," and they Austin Powers her chest, which was very funny. Yes, <laughs> it was great. Um, oh man! And then, as I said earlier, the delay on the camera is an amazing moment. Yes. Uh, you even give a shit about the cameraman who dies. Who has no lines. I'm still sad every time he dies. And I love that his last moments are helping Sydney and saying the door and trying to get her out. It's just really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, I think like the last thing I want to hit on is the is the queer, the queer subtext, if you will. I A lot of queer fans watched this movie when it came out and went, Billy and Stu are gay, right? Uh, and I think Stu is very gay <laughs> to me, like, or he's at least in love with Billy in some sense. And I think it's been sort of opted by queer fans that, that, cause Scream has a huge queer following, which I believe they sort of acknowledge in the fifth film by making a, the finally a canonically queer character in those, in the series. But a lot of queer fans have adopted Billy and Stu as as a queer, a kind of fucked up queer couple. And I think that um, Kevin Williamson, so it came up again around the release of the new Scream film. Oh, wow. People saying, oh, do you think Billy and Stu are gay? And Neve Campbell in an interview said, duh, which I thought was fucking hilarious. <laughs> so, so Neve Campbell spoke out and was like, yeah, I think they are, duh. And Kevin Williamson, the writer who is gay, um, which I think is a reason why maybe there's a lot of queer subtext in Scream that people sure. pick up on. He spoke out about it in 2022 around the release. And he, he had a really interesting, I would Google it if you want to read all about it. But I really liked his kind of nuance to it where he says he thinks that Billy might have had queer isms, but that he felt that Stu was absolutely in love with Billy and that Billy as a manipulative person exploited that love. And that is why Stu doesn't necessarily have a motive because his motive is just to follow Billy. And cause, and, and he talks about how the dynamic of their relationship is very top and bottomy kind of, which I thought huh. was interesting. Like in terms of Billy being the leader and Stu being the follower and, and Stu's motive is ne- isn't necessarily because he's, a bored teen is because he's he has this affection and this love that maybe he doesn't even know how to articulate for this other boy and uh that's why he's kind of going along with all of it so if you're interested in 
queer subtext in Scream. It's there and people have written about it and it's really great. Uh, queer people love Scream. And again, Sydney with that Indigo Girls poster, excuse me? We know what's going on here. We know what's right. going on here. <laughs> what's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. <laughs> Why are you doing this? It's all part of the game, Sydney. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! Fuck you! We already played that game, remember? You lost. It's a fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right, you die. You're crazy, both of you. Actually, you prefer the term psychotic. We'll never get away with this. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, always interesting. I think you know, it's a it's a genre that deserves that read because it is so camp and so out there. Yeah. Also, it, it's refreshing to hear that from a creator after so many years of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, mm-hmm. queer subtext denial. Mm-hmm. And that movie's way gayer than this, respectfully. Um, oh, no. I've seen the scene movie, of him dancing. That is the gayest shit I've ever seen in my life. That movie has a scene where where he runs into his gym teacher at a gay bar. Well, there's that new documentary that just came out. That's right. Uh, about, that actor, about that actor who he's sort of reckoning with the legacy of that film and the homophobia that led to his career kind of being tanked, which is interesting. Another thing with um, Billy and Stu is that I think Kevin Williamson mentioned the Leopold and Loeb inspirations there, which if you're a movie fan, you've seen many films, including Alfred Hitchcock's famous rope that has been kind of inspired by the Leopold and Loeb case, which was another kind of homoerotic murderous young men sort of thing. So that's, I think that's another kind of queer aspect of Billy and Stu is that they're kind of inspired by uh, that real life duo as well. Hmm. I wrote in my notes, these motherfuckers are so fruity. I love them. <laughs> Even though I hate them. I hate Billy mostly, but well, yeah, because to me, Stu is actually, I'm actually kind of sad when he dies because he's such a dumb little kid and his last words being like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. One like, of the best lines in the movie. I'm so happy we got there. I mean, Matthew Lillard, in that sequence, every line reading is better than the last. I know some people hate him. I love him in this movie. We're Lillard stands. Okay. We I are. mean, I haven't seen Scooby-Doo, but I have seen Twin Peaks The Return. And anybody who has their head on their shoulders properly uh, loves Matthew Lillard in Twin Peaks The Return. He's also great in Scooby-Doo. He is my shaggy. I love him. I'm a Lillard fan. I do like him a lot. He's really great. I think he's great in this tongue and all. <laughs> so we are, we are rapidly running out of time, even by <laughs> super special episode standards. So uh, Mackenzie, could you give me, I mean, look, I think we all know what your rating is going to be, but maybe some oh, final yeah. thoughts. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like I'm sorry. I've, I've talked so much in this episode. I feel like, uh, but no yeah, problem. I just think everything about this movie is perfect. I find new things to love about it. Every time I watch it, uh, I love scream two even more. So I'm so excited about next week. And, uh, yeah, it's five star for me. It, it always has been. It, I, I just think that this movie, I genuinely think it's one of the best scary movies ever made. If only for how influential and iconic it is and how important it is to the genre of slasher films as we know them today. And, uh, yeah, I just, I find new things to love every single time I watch Scream. So five stars. Yeah, baby, yeah. Yeah, you know, overall, I think I got a little too caught up in the spinning the wheels over the mystery of it, but this is obviously terrific and extremely influential. Um, I wish there was a little more meta a little earlier, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think there's enough to absolutely love and enjoy. 
And then in talking about it, I have only gained esteem. So as a matter of fact, the rating went up during the recording and I am at a very shagadelic four and a half stars. And that's, that's rated to grow for scream because based on what you just said about all the performances and all of the hints layered in there, like obviously because this movie is about watching movies a million times, this movie is designed to be watched a million times. And I'm certainly not going to take another 12 years to rewatch scream for sure. (laughs) It's a great movie. Glad to hear it. It's a great movie. All right, uh, are we ready to start our little show? Let's do it. I love gold! You know, horror movies always get kind of a bad rap everywhere. Indeed. So, not a lot of gold to go around. I will say, the International Horror Guild gave Scream Best Film. Nice, okay. Big surprise, (laughs) big surprise. Uh, At the Saturn Awards for genre stuff, Nev Campbell won Best Actress and the movie won Best Horror Film Overall. Wes Craven nominated Best Overall Director, which is big, I think. And Skeet Ulrich and Drew Barrymore were nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Actress. Kevin Williamson won a Saturn for Best Writing. At the MTV Movie Awards, Nev Campbell was nominated, didn't quite get it, and Scream won Best Overall Movie. So great job, everyone. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's I Love Gold. Again, not a lot of gold because horror movies get a bad rap. I cannot imagine the sequels did better, but we'll see how it goes. (laughs) And now it's time for the Alan Parsons Project, where we go over the connections that brought us Screamtober. No other way to say it. it. Okay. Peter Deming, the cinematographer for Mulholland Drive, also shot (laughs) Scream. Okay. Scream 4, I see here. Scream 3. Scream 2. And... Wow, did not return for Scream 5, but that's okay. Uh, his, credits, my king. his credits include the horrendous Oz the Great and Powerful, which we will <laughs> never talk about on this show, ever. The Love Guru, which we will eventually discuss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I lost Highway, so a Lynch collaborator. and yes, frequent and... Lynch, Lynch crab. The wap-a-pop-a-doo. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. A frequent Lynch collaborator, yeah. And of course, returning from My Cousin Vinny, on which he was the cinematographer king, as well. Fucking king. What a king. Who else we got? The show is running long, so I'm not going to read read a ton. But I will also say Claire Raskind is a name that looks familiar. Gives us Return of the King and that great Western, The Harder They Fall. But uh, the publicist at New Line at the time, so the Lord of the Rings movies. Scream, obviously, um, the Austin Powers film, Pauly, that movie about the wacky parrot, and many others. <laughs> Great job. Don LaFontaine is the last one I'll highlight. The man who was in a million trailers, and Scream is certainly no different. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? Um, Obviously, there's a ton. There's not, like, as many as, you know, this isn't, like, Con Air or anything. But because it was, (laughs) you know, produced at a similar time, there was a lot of cross-pollination going on. Uh, And that is a, a very truncated Alan Parsons project. There you are, you're over there. Oh, we have two U's over there. First, we have an email with the subject line, 
taste. <laughs> oh no. I don't I don't Hello over there. Zolidus again. Aha. Oh yeah. no. Conair wasn't you two's cup of tea. That's just how it is sometimes. Even quote unquote bad movies do have some unforgettable scenes. And this one with the Garland Green's introduction to the movie Hannibal Lecter style, watching that on the big screen on the days of the premiere and being totally unspoiled, that's super rewarding. Yeah, that must have been crazy for the mask to come up and then reveal that it's Steve Buscemi under there. Oh, I was like... What is that talking about? I forgot that guy's <laughs> name was Garland Greens. I thought I was reading a different language. I was so confused. <laughs> Since I still think back of that scene and laugh about it so many years later, I would say I paid I pay, pay the ticket for that movie. I would agree. If I had just seen Steve Buscemi, I would also be like, I got my money's worth. This is why this is why rating movies is kind of a sin, right? Like I appreciate <laughs> exactly. Con Air, but I don't know if I would if I would call it good. It's compl- It's very complicated. <laughs> Um, I don't rewatch really this movie often. The, that movie ain't complicated, but the Garland Green scene I often watch on YouTube and joked about it in terms of future Oscars. How a certain actor that slapped a comedian live on stage, how he would be escorted to the Oscars after the ban. Garland Green style. Van up on the scene. Opening back in there. So I don't know if you get to this book for, for recording. You were doing the Truman Show now. So this is actually from last week. Oh, great. Um, I think I watched that movie one time. That movie ain't my type of movie. And it can be that I watched that movie with expectations for what Jim Carrey was at that point. And it's a different type of movie. Just a taste mismatch. Yeah. I would I say mean, give it a second shot if you want to. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good movie. Try it out as my recommendation. Did you see, by the way, I had totally forgotten about this, but I saw some YouTube reel. You know, YouTube does reels now, or they do. It's supposed to, it's TikToks, but reels, but on YouTube. I saw one of Jim Carrey talking about the Siskel and Ebert episode they did, basically telling Jim Carrey they were sorry for doubting him after he made the Truman Show. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's a beautiful thing. I have to watch. I think the whole Siskel and Ebert show is on YouTube. I've out. been watching a lot of Siskel and Ebra, yeah. Uh, and then I have a couple of final sentences from Zolidus. Go for it. Sending you a screenshot of my Letterbox movies I like for 1998. If that's if you ever need to fill up your list of movies, and I did change the posters, that's a great function. Agree. Uh, good tips to figure out if a movie might be something for you. Watch the trailer. Even if you get spoiled, you feel what type of movie it is. Uh, the best movie, in my opinion, for 1998 is Enemy of the State. Oh, yeah. Never seen that. And I already know your answer for this because I just looked up 1998. But Zolidus asks, what movie do you two consider be- to be the best film of 1998? Is it The Truman Show? You know my an- You know my answer? The Big Lebowski did come out in oh, 1998. Yeah, yeah. So well, I would assume that's your favorite of that well, year. Well, yeah. I mean. I'm looking right now at 1998. Honestly, a lot of movies I adore from this year. Truman Show being one of them, Big Lebowski being one of them, Rushmore's a great, a great movie. Rushmore's great. Halloween H two O maybe not great. Armageddon, uh, The Wedding Singer. <laughs> but I think that like if I'm looking at my favorite films ever, if I had to pick one to put on my all time fave, uh, You've Got Mail is probably my favorite movie of nineteen ninety. That is a. I know I what people are. I know what you're thinking out there listening to us talk about You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail is the real deal. Small Soldiers also 1988. Wow, wow, That's wow, pretty wow. strong. Halloween Town, a movie I adore. Spice World. That is one of my other favorite movies of all time. Okay, mm-hmm. You've Got Mail and Spice World are my top two 1998 movies. I also saw Blues Brothers 2000, which is horrendous. But, man, <laughs> that is going to be... Talk about all-time episodes. Mm. Wow. Oh, Ever After, my fiance's favorite movie of all time, 1998. 
Oh, and you know what came out on March 13th of 1998? Tell me. Chairman of the Board with Carrot Top and Larry Thank Miller. God. Thank God. Got to reference honestly. it once a week. Gotta Quest for Camelot, another film I adore that I feel like no one else remembers. Uh, the misguided Warner Brothers. Uh, hey, maybe we'll try feature animation years. <gasps> the filmed version of Cats that I also love. Damn, there's a lot of... See, mm. 1998 slaps. I'm, I'm not even being jokey here. Yep, and the best movie of all time, according to the Oscars, why it was Shakespeare in Love, which I didn't even see, so... <laughs> Anyway. Uh, thank you for the email. And then we have a voicemail from dear friend Corey, who I believe is returning yes. uh, to the show, to the voicemail section, uh, with the subject line voicemail and text just showing some love for the icon Matthew Lillard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come on, baby. Let's go. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Mackenzie. It's Corey. And uh, I'm just calling in with a quick question. Uh, so this movie features yet another iconic look by one Matthew Lillard icon of the 90s and 2000s and I was just wondering what are your favorite and least favorite Matthew <laughs> Lillard looks from his uh his career uh my personal favorite is his look in the movie 13 Ghosts he looks like something out <laughs> of a uh 2002 Dior runway or something uh, and my least favorite would probably be his look in SLC Punk, because you should never trust a punk, even if that punk is Matthew Lillard. Would love to hear your thoughts. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you for that voicemail. That's wow, a lovely Matthew. question. It's a complicated question. It requires some Matthew Googling. Lillard now. The 13th Ghosts, I will say, uh, Corey is not just a dear personal friend of the show, but a dear personal friend of mine. Uh, happy birthday, if you can hear this. Uh, I, I forget I forget exactly when when his birthday drops, but happy birthday. Uh, 13th Ghosts is a very Corey movie. <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, we should mm, we should do it on the show. <laughs> I think the SLC Punk, I agree, is a lot. 13th Ghosts is a lot. I like his disgraced adult Twin Peaks, the return look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm like legally obligated to say Scooby Doo. He just he's he is shaggy to me. I also recently watched uh, Looney Tunes back in action, and Matthew Lillard has a cameo in that. What where he's having lunch with Scooby and Shaggy, like the cartoons, because in Looney Tunes back in action, people coexist with these famous cartoons, right? And um shaggy is like telling him that he didn't like his performance in scooby-doo <laughs> and matt, matt lillard just looks really handsome and, and it's funny and it's a great cameo so maybe i'll say looney tunes back in action as my fave least fave i don't i i, don't I i'm realizing no. now thinking about it after this voicemail that i really haven't seen that many matthew lillard projects i've Me never either. seen scooby-doo I, yeah. famously i've never seen slc punk i've never seen 13 ghosts Matthew Lillard. I don't Lillard. think I've seen... I'm seeing that he was in She's All That, but I don't remember that. And I've seen that movie. He was in The Descendants, which I personally really hated. I've seen him in Scream Scooby-Doo, and I think that's probably it, honestly. Damn, this is very odd. This is very odd that I just haven't seen... Yeah, weird. I mean, honestly, if you're on Letterboxd, most of his credits are just voicing Shaggy now. He's just the he's the voice for most animated Scooby-Doo projects. So I feel like it's been a while. He he got into D&D. He's actually kind of like a 
TTRPG guy now, and what? he runs a company. Yeah, he runs a company called Be- Beetle and Grimm's, where they make uh, supplementary materials for Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons. That's his company. Yeah, that's 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 Matt Lillard. So I actually kind of know him more as a as a D and D guy now because he he plays in live games like with Joe Manganiello, and like when they bring celebrities on to play D and D, Matt Lillard's kind of there. And yeah, he runs Beetle and Grimm's. So that, that's kind of I feel like where his career has gone is just kind of running this company that's fascinating yeah wild it's interesting Corey. i'm gonna have to get back to you on this once i've seen some more styles i uh i need to get a, i need to uh, brush up on my lillard to be honest we gotta brush up on that lillard matuary think about it <laughs> but those are all the use over there so if you have if you want to be over there for all of screamtober Obviously, you can always email us about Austin Powers or any other movie we've watched. But this month, we are focusing on Scream, which means there is no wheel run. Wheel run? I don't know what I'm talking about. Wheel turn? The turn of the screw? The I'm losing my mind. Um, the wheel not, is in the fridge. The it's in the crisper right now in tinfoil. It is simmering. <laughs> I just okay. snorted. Wow. Um, thank you for recovering that for me. Um, but hey, if you want to be over there and you want to talk to us... Email AustinDangerPodcast at gmail.com. Next week, Screamtober continues. Scream 2, baby. Weird, wild, wacky. Am I going to watch it right now? Uh, Probably not. But I'll have seen it in seven days right here on this show. (laughs) Until then. This is my Terminator 2 Judgment Day. That is is an insane expectation. What I don't am even I supposed know. I've to never make even seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day. You haven't it even just, seen it. It is, it is simply a sequel I like better than the original, I'm saying. Okay. Okay. But also, I feel that way about Scooby Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. So take with that what you will. It's another movie I haven't seen, so who knows? Uh, but until then, until next Monday and Scream 2 from Mackenzie, this is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening.